Welcome to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I'm traveling throughout my home state of Maine, talking to people 60 and above about what it's like to be getting older. Life hasn't always been easy for today's guest, but she has to be one of the most optimistic individuals I've met. Now 71, she and her husband are both retired and enjoying lots of adventures together most of them right here in their beloved state of Maine. I'm sitting here in Durham, Maine, in this fabulous old farmhouse with a woman that I feel like I've known almost forever, Jennifer Fitzpatrick. I first met you back in the late 70s, maybe the early 80s. We both worked in a building on High Street in Portland I worked for the Public Interest Research, Research Group, Group. That's and right. you worked for the Intown Learning Center. Oh, that's right. I was I was at the Intown Learning Center up on the third floor with adult education, and we were yes. both in our twenties. Yes, and we're not anymore. <laughs> no, no. That building now is the Macaulay Residence Building, transitional housing for women that's sponsored by Mercy Hospital, and they have t- added on a whole wing to that um, original building. It's a yellow brick building. You can't miss it on High Street when you look. Yeah. Well, so you and I first met Across. way back when. we Our paths crossed way back when, when we were in our 20s, and we both happened to be working in the same building on High Street in Portland. <laughs> but where did you start out in life? I was born in Rockland, Maine, in Knox County General Hospital in December December 5th, 1948. What's interesting about that building is it's now a nursing home. And I thought, wouldn't it be? (laughs) But there's no chance of my going back there. I did have a a family member who was in the nursing home for a while. And I went to the nurse's station. And the nurse, who was the longest-term nurse there, took me to what had been the maternity unit and showed me the one room at the time where I would have been born. Oh, wow. And it was really kind of funny, yeah. and, I, and I came home and told Michael all about it. He said, only you would ask. <laughs> I said, only you would ask. But that's where I was born. And uh, my mom was pregnant with me when she was 16, and so I'm very fortunate to be here. And um, her marriage to my biological dad did not last. And that's how we ended up living with my grandparents. And we had talked about um, living with them when I was young on the lighthouse in Owl's Head. And that's how I ended up there. Is that the only lighthouse that you lived in? Um, no, I've also lived at Four Point Light in Stockton Springs because my stepdad was a keeper as well. He had, he had been a keeper at Matinicus um, Rock where they did, it was called a stag light, men only, couldn't take their families. And he was also at Brown's Head, but he was stationed at um, Fort Point, and it was a family light, and so that's where I lived. I, I was like, I must have been 12, 13. When, then, lived when there. I lived there. Yeah, it was like special time. You know, who is it says, you know, you have friends when you're 12, and you'll never have those close friends like that again, or some, some mm-hmm. phrase like that? And I remember those kids from that area. Um, I've even tried to find some of them online. You know how you can go on Facebook, but 
to no avail. Well, I recently interviewed a gentleman, you know who mm-hmm. he is, Ernie Durabs, mm-hmm. who was in the Coast Guard, and he manned some of those. Yeah. He told me about the stag station. Yes, and, yeah. um, but I'm interested from a child's point of view. You were a kid who lived. What was that like? It was great. <laughs> it was great, i got to tell you. We still go back. Michael and I go back. And and Michael's we, your husband. Michael's my husband of 41 years. And uh, we go back, and I talk to him. It's like the memory tour. We go around, and we walk around through. It's very, very different now. It's a state park, and back when I lived there, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, Fort Point Light is on Cape Jellison in Stockton Springs, and the Cape itself um, is kind of remote. It's still a land light, so you're not on an island. Um, but when we lived there, the road was one mile of dirt road down to the light from the main road on the Cape. And that's where the bus picked us up for school, was, picked us, picked me up. I was the only kid around. You had to walk the mile? Yeah, we didn't walk the mile. We had an old beat-up truck, gosh, that, you know, a 1940-something truck called Old Faithful. Mm-hmm. And Old Faithful would take us up to the, take me up to the bus stop and back. And uh, um, But as a kid, it was like your, your playground. I mean, you had ocean on two sides, you had a sandbar, you had old... Um, remnants of an old fort because Fort Pownall was there and um, remnants of an old hotel and so we used to go digging for uh, shards of you know pottery and stuff in the old hotel had lots of little things we found from when the hotel burned and um, so that part was kind of exciting what was even more exciting I think was my my stepdad Bob Kinney was the was the keeper and he was he was a young man and he um, he liked to do adventuresome things. I guess I can put it that way. He, he made it fun. He made yeah. it fun. He was fun to have as a dad. Um, so like things like if we had a real storm or whatever, he'd say, oh, let's go sit out in the oak tree. and, and In the tree? In the tree uh, watch waving, the thunder and lightning? And, yeah, <laughs> waving. You know. No, it's just like, a, like a, a big wind or a hurricane or whatever. We've done that before. We, you know, we'd sit in the tree and just let the wind take us away and uh. laugh about it. But he always took me up in the tower when he went up to, you know, turn on the light. You had to put the light on a half hour before sunset, and you had to uh, take it off a half hour before, um, after daybreak. Uh, but he would take me up, and the only time I really wasn't um, allowed in the tower was when they came to do inspections, um, because that was the big wigs from Boston would come mm-hmm. up, and you know, and. What I learned later is that your pay was dependent on how well the inspections went. So, so, as so they kid, kept you out of sight. So they kept me out of sight, <laughs> as they did my, my three siblings. <laughs> so, uh, but we had fun. As kids, we made a lot of friends. And so you had to make your own fun. You had to make your own fun. And, and so when I would bring friends out and we would, you know, just go play. There was no such thing as playing inside unless it was really bad weather and we played games. Right. But we played outside all the time. So um, there was a lot of swimming that went on and skipping rocks down on the sandbar because that's mm-hmm. where the Penobscot River just makes a, makes a right turn mm-hmm. right in front of us. Um, I remember and, as a kid I used to think of... If you lived in a lighthouse, then you lived in that circular right. tower, but yeah. you don't. It's a house attached. Well, and Fort Point isn't circular. Fort Point is square. Huh. It's a square tower. You look at it, it's a square tower, but it still has a circular staircase. Inside a square tower. Inside the square tower. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, 
and the kids, of course, any of my friends from school wanted to come and, you know, go in the tower. We wanted to go upside, outside where the rim is, but that was not allowed. Kind of dangerous. A little bit. Yeah. And then you could see the cliffs. You know, it was it's perched on cliffs. Um, I don't have a picture of what it looks like from the river, uh, but it is up high. And how they ever had kids on that light is beyond, <laughs> beyond me. But now it's fenced off. I don't remember it ever being fenced when we were there. It might have been, but I don't recall. And now that. it's not. It's still working, but it's all automated. Or there's a keeper there. Terry Cole is the, is the keeper there that takes uh, takes care of the light, and um, everything is automated, as you say. But he takes care of it because it's a state park, mm-hmm. and they have visitors that come down and like you and your husband Michael. You go and visit we go, and chat. We go. We go. It, what, what's really funny is we went for years and years. We went. And um, about five years ago, we went, and it was a blustery day. It was beautiful. We were walking down to the bell tower, and um, I saw this guy, you know, puttering around and driving around on the back 40, and, you know, just I just kind of ignored him. We were just walking around, because you can walk on the grounds, you know, you just stay away from the personal quarters, the house. Mm-hmm. And it was so blustery, and there was a, a shingle that had blown loose from the house, and the shingles in this particular station are red. A lot of them in Maine, you'll notice the roofs are red, and they're red shingles. So I leaned down, and I picked up this shingle, and I asked Michael to carry it. Um, I wanted to take it home. Yeah, because, as I told you earlier, I do collect things. So as I picked it up, this voice behind me says, I'll take that. And I said, no, you won't. <laughs> and it was Terry Cole. It was the first time I met him in person. And I, I said, no, I'm taking it home as a memento. And he said, no, no, no. And I said, so I introduced myself, who I was. And at that point, he said, let's go up in the tower. I had never, oh. I had never been in since uh, we had left. And so it, it was pretty kind of nice. It was, it was just pretty overwhelming. Of course, I cried. Um, and he was apologetic because it didn't look as good as he wanted it to look. The nice thing about the tower is, you know, they talk about that tower that they put at Fort Knox, the one that goes, I don't know if you've been up in the one that on the bridge. Do I know it, where you do mean. Do it sometime. Yeah, do it okay. sometime. It's worth it. But, it, you know, it's a it's a fabulous view. And so when you get in the lighthouse, and it's still a fabulous view up and down the river. So were the quarters the same? Were the, the house, we didn't go into the house. We just went into the tower. And I always remember my dad doing the log at night. He would sit in the in the keeper's office. When you were up there, you got to go up in the tower. Yep. You didn't go into the house, but you said it just brought a flood oh, of memories it, back. It really did. It really did. It was, um, it, it was a different era. And I just remember my dad sitting in his office and working on the logs. And the logs were like just a diary of what happened every day. You know, what time the sun came up and what time he lit the lamp and how the weather was and who the who had come by. And back in the day when, when people drove down to the light, um, we stopped whatever we were doing and took them up. And we took people up to the light all the time. And it was always open. We never worried about them falling down the stairs. We never <laughs> worried about the liability issues. But it was more that they were welcome. It was it was the people's house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was really, it was kind of fun to do that. And as kids, if mom and dad were busy, we took, we would take the 
people up. So, so we kids would just go up the winding <clears throat> staircase. Oh yeah, so we would just take we would go up. Now I I'm the oldest of the four of us, and I have a sister who's five years younger and a sister who's. Um, we were just trying to figure this out the other day. I think she's eight years younger, and my no, she's nine years younger, and my brother is eight years younger. You told me your mom <clears throat> had you at sixteen, mm-hmm. and that marriage didn't last. And then she remarried, and that's when all of your siblings came along. Well, not quite. My stepdad came on as the third husband, and he was—I must have been about seven. I think I was about seven. He was stationed in the Coast Guard in Rockland. We had lots of friends in the Coast Guard. There's something about the service where they take care of each other. It's a very family-oriented um, uh, headset where everybody, it doesn't matter if you don't even, you're just meeting the person for the first time. If you're in the Coast Guard or if you're in the Navy or if you're in the Army, it's all like that. It's a very family-oriented thing and very accepting. Uh, so we had a lot of friends that were stationed uh, in Rockland, and then they went off different different places, and they all went to different lighthouses, or they all went to different, um, some sometimes different states. But we always stayed right here. We were in Maine. Oh, well, I can I can relate to the service because my dad was a career army man, and we mm-hmm. moved every two or three years. Yeah, I mean that's what we were. We, were, we sort of felt like transients because every couple of years, as you say, we were. were going off somewhere else. It was all within Maine, but I went to like nine different schools in 12 years. So what it teaches you is how to uh, make new friends, Mm -hmm. how to be accepting, how to get over that fear of fitting in and just jump in uh, to things. So I think it was was kind of a character building. (laughs) It's definitely a character building life. Yes, you have to uh, be very, very adaptable to new situations or you're not gonna make it. Yeah, absolutely. My husband, Michael, refers to me as being resilient. Isn't that an interesting term? I, th- I had I, never thought of it. We just talked about this the other day. He, said, he says you're very resilient. And I think over, over the years, yeah, I guess that could you be. Do. You have to be. You have to be. Yeah, when I was, when I was a, a younger woman, I was uh, leaving an unhappy marriage with two small children, striking out on my own with a with a part-time job at the university that turned into full-time, thankfully, where I get paid $100 a week. <laughs> and you were a single parent. Single mom, yeah. And I was on food stamps, only they didn't call them food stamps because it wasn't food stamps. It was um, government food surplus. So you got those little boxes of uh, cheese. Boxes and of cheese and the, the pork in the can and the peanut butter and... Um, the evaporated milk and the powdered milk. Oh, gosh, that stuff was terrible. So I want to make sure I have a timeline right. So you have two small kids. You're a single parent. Mm. Are we talking about the 70s, late yeah, 70s? Yeah, we, we are talking about the 70s, yeah. And when like, did you and Michael this... get married? Oh, well, let's see. We've been married for 41 years. We lived together for a, a little while before that. Um so that was in 1978 we got married. We got married in Little Falls Baptist Church out by where you live. That's right. <laughs> and that's an interesting story because um, Michael had been married before and it was not an annulment in place. So uh, we couldn't get married in a Catholic church. And I'm Baptist and he's Catholic. So we were doomed to get married anywhere. <laughs> 
Now, Reverend Ralph Parody from the Little Falls Baptist Church, I had a conversation with Reverend Parody, and um, he said he was willing to do it, even though we were of different faiths. He was willing to, to do our marriage. And uh, so we, we had a little ceremony there. About 100 of our friends and family came. Mm -hmm. And we had Paula and Jeffrey, who were the, my children, um, as part of our ceremony. So nice. we became a family. My brother walked me down the aisle <laughs> in, in uh, full Ghost Guard regalia. Every summer we uh, have been, the last few years, having Michael's side of the family all come. And they rent cottages at Higgins Beach. We all rent different cottages. Um, and spend a week together because he has a sister in California and a sister in Texas and a sister in uh, Massachusetts and we, and we all get together with families our kids and the grandkids and everybody and rent places his brother lives in Wyndham so it's pretty close um, but we all get together and I thought well we're all getting together this summer let's do a vow renewal because Michael's sister is a UCC minister. And so I contacted Beth and asked her if she would do a service for us Aww. at her cottage, because we all have different, different cottages. And so we did, and uh, did it. it was wonderful, because Maggie and Molly, my two grandchildren, uh, Sean and Jenna's kids, were part, took part of it. They went and picked um, some Queen Anne's lace so I could hold some Queen Anne's lace. So they had a little candle for me to light, and we, we renewed our vows. On the lawn, right by, right, you know, right by Higgins Beach. Oh, that's a lovely it was, story. It was wonderful, and then we had a water balloon battle, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we had all the family there, which was really yeah. kind of fun. We do a lot, Michael and I. Since he's retired, he retired what about what, four years ago, I think. I kind of lost track. We've kind of set our goal because for so many years he worked in D.C. And he wasn't here four days out of the week, so we weren't together for a lot of time. We've made it our goal to spend as much time as possible now. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing is that we always want to do something fun once a week. doesn't matter, you know, if it's just a simple walk or if we want to go to a movie or, or go out to eat. It has to be something fun that was just focused on each other for at least once a week because we get wrapped up doing our own thing and this house requires a lot of work right. let's go back <laughs> let's go back a ways all right you and michael got married yes. you had two young children at yep. the time you had a son together mm -hmm. all those kids are now grown up and <laughs> it, it <laughs> and you have grandchildren now you have grandchildren out on the west coast I you have do. grandchildren here in maine I do. how have the grandchildren enriched your life Oh, there's, I told one of my friends, you cannot believe the difference it makes. It, I don't know what it is, but it's just so special to see these kids grow and to see you know, just the little tiny things that they do. I don't remember being as engrossed with my children when they were little as I am with these kids. They could, they could sneeze and I'd say, oh, what a beautiful little sneeze. <laughs> You know, and it is. It's, it's it's just watching them grow. I just when they say I love you, Grammy, it's like oh, say it. It's again. really it unconditional again. love. I think when we're raising our kids, we're so busy, yes. and it gives you That's that right. opportunity to sit back and notice, oh, and you everything. don't have to take care of the day to day usually. That's it. That's it. I don't have to deal with all of the other issues, and I'm and I'm not working, so it's you know it's wonderful. I can devote all the time necessary to them. 
and we have fun. So they know that coming to see Grammy in particular it, is going to be fun. It'll be fun. We'll be doing something different. And with Grandpa, it'll be going out and getting, you know, eggs with, you know, from the hens because we have a flock of hens out back. It was raining when you came, so we didn't get a chance to walk out oh. see the hens. But we have we have hens, and he, they help Grandpa with his yard work. It's amazing to have these two here. And then when the other kids come, they came um, last last July, Fourth of July. Uh, from the West Coast, it was wonderful. Just just having having, having well having Donovan here was great to try to um, foster connectedness because they won't have other cousins. That's right. So they're gonna they're gonna have to have to be close. You know, I'm really 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 close to my cousins, and um, and Michael's getting more closer now as his cousins as they age than he was when it, you know through our working years. He's building that relationship again. And they had a big reunion this summer. We had a big reunion here a couple of years ago. And so I want those grandchildren to know their family. Mm -hmm. that wherever they travel, they have to know who their family is. So so that's yeah, important that's, to you? Oh, family is like, yeah, fa family is very, very important to me. I'm the eldest of all the grandchildren. Okay, of all, of all, the, all the cousins, mm -hmm. I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the next in line. Okay. okay. All the rest have passed on. Okay, so you are the generation. Am, You're the, am, the matriarch in a way. Oh, gosh, help me. Yeah. <laughs> I, so as part of my role to do that, I decided that we needed to have a cousin's gathering. Okay. And so uh, a couple of years ago, we had everybody here at our house, um, I, I counted the cousins, and I think I think I have over 20 hmm. cousins. And they're, you know, families that could come, came. Um, and it was really wonderful. And they all, all the seven Haskins kids were um, represented except from one. My Uncle Merrill's kids couldn't make it. Um, but it was absolutely phenomenal hmm. just having them here. This summer, Michael's... Fraser side had had the gathering at one of the Fraser's houses up in Little Sebago, and um, it was the same thing. They they all came and they hadn't seen each other for years. It was that same thing. So I want my grandchildren to know they have cousins, mm -hmm. and those cousins are important. How does it feel though to realize that now you're you represent the next generation? Yeah, it's a little daunting. It's a little daunting because um, back many years ago, I didn't believe I would live beyond the age of 39. Why okay? is that? Because my mother died in a car accident, and she was one month away from her 40th birthday. So I had no concept of what life could be, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's not going to be for me. So I never really thought I was going to live very long. Hmm. Um, now I find out I'm living longer than I expected, and um, I'm finding out I'm the oldest, which, you know, it never really settled in until my aunt died uh, about four years ago, and she was the youngest of that generation. I thought, oh, that makes me next in line, which was kind of funny to think about. So I intend to live as long as my Grammy Rena, if not longer. And she lived to be 92. She's a tough one. So <laughs> yeah. can we talk about your mom? 
Oh, sure. Uh, what sure. happened? And you were, and by then you were in your 20s? Oh, yeah. I was, I was pregnant with Jeffrey. Okay. So that was 47 years ago. Mm. And um, she and, they, by then she and Dad were living in, because he got transferred, <laughs> they were living in um, Kentucky. And uh, he was working, I think, it was still the Coast Guard then. He was working, guarding the river mm-hmm. there. Um, and they had gone out to the county fair. And um, some kid coming back from, uh, this is 1972, some kid coming back from Vietnam who was celebrating having survived Vietnam was very, very drunk and decided to pass the long line of cars he was behind and head on to my folks. Yeah, so she, um, yeah, it was, it was sad. She, it was so sudden, it just shocked us all. So my dad was a young man. He was, he was younger than my mom by two years. And um, so he was like only 14 years older than I am, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of um, tough looking back and thinking he had to start all over again with a new, new family. So we lost my mom, and my youngest sister and my youngest brother, uh, my dad put them in Glen Cove Christian Academy as a boarding school because he was in the service and he couldn't deal with it. And how old were they then? Oh, 14, mm-hmm. 15. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And my other sister was living on her own at that point. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was, yeah. It was pretty rough pretty, time. Pretty to... uh, sudden. Just mm-hmm. sudden. So I immediately, I look back at this and think, how numb was this? I just dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. I didn't you mean let anybody know. Your reaction just, to it right. was that you just dropped I out of school? I needed to go home, yeah. I need, but I, but I, just, I just dropped out of school. I couldn't deal with any of the issues, couldn't deal with studying. But I never thought to let anybody know what was going on. So it took a long time for me to get my GPA back up into a different strategy. You were in shock. You were in shock. I was, I was. It was, but I, you know, I went back eventually. It took me ten years, but I got my undergraduate degree. And, Good for you. Yeah, and so was my master's, but didn't finish that. So. Well, you still have time now that you're going to live another twenty years. No, I ran out of time. I had my master's work done for two, except for two courses, and the time frame ran out. I didn't know it. there was a time frame. Neither did I. That's what happened. There was. Well, I think it? you should fight it. Yeah, I'm not going to bother. What is it going to get me? I, you know, mm. a master's in adult education, really. Well, you can help lifelong learners. I did. I did. That's what I did. I was the coordinator of adult basic ed for the city of Portland for a brief amount of time before I went to Mercy. Yeah. Okay, then. Yeah, so that's... (laughs) And what happened is life got too busy. Once I went to Mercy, there were a whole different set of requirements. So you You went from education to... A Catholic hospital. Yes, and you ran yes. the volunteer program yeah, all that I did. time. All that time. Yeah, but I, I left. I left a really nice working experience with adult education because during that era, the teachers for adult ed were not unionized, even though they were part of the Portland public school system. They didn't have the same contract, so they worked year round. They didn't get all the holidays that the other mm-hmm. teachers got. They, the working conditions were just not good by comparison to the other teachers in the system. Okay. Okay. 
so they wanted to unionize. And so I was management, but I liked what they were going to do, so I had to leave. And that's how I ended up at Mercy. Well, okay, so you weren't just a work, worker bee, you managed. I and so managers, again, yes. so managers have to pledge allegiance to, to the, not unionization, right. but just, yeah. okay. And so I was, I was struggling with that, and the job came at the same time, and so I was able to leave, and I made a good leap. And I, lo and I loved my job. It was a wonderful job. How many years did you work there? I worked two months shy of 30. That's a long time. You must have loved what you did. I feel very fortunate that I, that I worked at Mercy during a time when volunteers were appreciated, when volunteerism was very strong, with a, particularly a lot of uh, women who were not um, working women at the time. So they were a lot of older women. Um, it gave me a really strong foundation in terms of what to expect as I grew older. Because I could look at some of these gals in their 70s and 80s and what they were doing for me mm -hmm. and get a perspective of what I'll be able to do later on. Um, it, was, it was a great job. I had young people who were coming who were exploring careers. Mm -hmm. I had people who were changing careers that wanted to come in and do some exploration. I had the opportunity to develop courses for the university around volunteer management. Um, over time, a lot of those things were really um, so rewarding. I, I was the president of our state organization for four years, president of the New England Association for two years, and, and had wonderful connections mm -hmm. across the country because of that, that friends that I had made and um, professional development. I, I worked to get the um, national certification exam I and, didn't know there was a certification exam. There, I, I hope there still is, but yes, there is national certification. When you first got there, and you told me you were raised in the Baptist church. Oh, yeah. But when you first got there, um, did the nuns have all the prayer stalls still upstairs? It was the chapel upstairs still open? Oh, do you remember? Uh, when I first got there, my office was on pediatrics, which was the second floor south. And on the walls and all of the wards, they were like wards with four beds, were painted like Big Bird and you know the Cookie Monster and all these paintings on the wall. So my office was on pediatrics. I clearly remember the second floor. The second floor also had the medical library. It was right in the center. It was beautiful, beautiful library. Very a lot of mahogany and just made you made you just want to be there just to feel golden you know mm -hmm. it was just a mm -hmm. wonderful spot the birthplace which was just called maternity was on the sixth floor that's where everybody who says they were born in mercy usually in the old days was born on the sixth floor and the emergency department was on the basement level one right on the corner of state street that you'll see the side entrance mm -hmm. That was the emergency department. The chapel was on the second floor. It was a two-story chapel, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was, because the balcony where the nuns would be up there and singing was on the third floor. Hmm. It was, yeah, that happened. Uh, that changed during the first construction time that I was there, but that was just such a beautiful, beautiful spot. That was an amazing place. Yeah, that, that was such a wonderful spot.
and now it's just all twisted around. There's so many different changes that right. it's gone through. You know? And now you're retired. And loving it. Loving how it. long have you been retired? Um, how long? I think it's. I think I've been retired. Oh, seven years, maybe. Okay. I've forgotten something that I eight years. Eight years you've been retired. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Michael, four years. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a time in your life that I know about that I think is important to talk about. Uh You talked about your mom's accident. Mm -hmm. You had a horrific accident yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Can you talk about that? Um, Oh, boy. Today is the anniversary, actually, of that accident. And it was 10 years ago today. And I was on my way to work. It was just like any other day. Up early, I was always in the office by 7:30, and I was heading down the road. And a mile, it was it was a beautiful day actually. I remember getting up because it was the first snow, hmm. and um, a mile from my house here, um, my um, car was struck by someone coming the other direction, and I was spun around. And the next thing you know, I am. Uh, being cut out of my vehicle. <laughs> God bless the Subaru Forester. It saved my life, I think. Um, and the, the uh, rescue guys from town here were just fabulous. I was uh, conscious of the whole thing. and Even immediately and, after? Yes. Because you said the next thing you knew, you were being oh, cut out. Yeah, well, I was, I was like spinning around. There was a woman who was um, on her way, because people stopped, you know, mm-hmm. right off. Right off like, kid a young man came in and <clears throat> he got my phone and I told him who to call mm-hmm. with my phone because I must have had a cell phone at that time oh, it was a flip phone one of those little flip phones yep and um, a woman who was on her way to work as a physical therapist in Auburn mm-hmm. or yeah in Auburn stopped and she climbed into the car with me and held my head perfectly still while they were cutting me and trying to get me out because she recognized that my neck was broken. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, pretty powerful. You okay? Here we are. I know it's your 10th anniversary, but still, you, you have some PTSD there because of this, which would be understandable. Um... In my life, I have hit a moose. I, I've hit a moose and survived. I've had a big buck hit me and survived. <laughs> and then they have a car hit me. The, the thing that really struck me is um, Michael's mom also had died in a snowstorm car accident in uh, coming to work. She actually worked for the nuns for 18 years at the mother house. And she was on her way to work when she died. And my mom had died in a car accident, and I was not going to die. I was not doing that to my kids. I was not doing that to Michael. Um, but this morning, I mentioned it to Michael. I said, I have upstairs, and tonight, a little ritual tonight, I have all the cards and all the support and and. Tons and tons of letters. Oh my God, you wouldn't believe the letters and the and the notes from all over. I have a basket that's like this wow. that's full of all this stuff that I haven't looked at. You've never looked at? Oh, it? I have. I have looked. I haven't looked at it in the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tonight, 
we're looking through it, we're going to read them, and then they're going to recycle them because we're trying to clean out some yeah. of this stuff around the house. Um, but I thought to myself, what better way to do that than on the 10th anniversary mm -hmm. of my new life? Wow. But you thought in those moments that you might die? Yeah, I did. I absolutely did. I gave people instructions on telling my kids I love them. And How bad yeah. were your injuries? Um pretty awful <laughs> and actually I I mean I didn't realize they were as bad as they were I had um, a broken neck a broken foot broken ankle uh, broken humerus um, that must have been something else I don't I don't recall but what happened was um, when I got to the emergency when I got to the emergency department at Maine Med do you remember Dr. Tony Owens Mm -hmm. He was the doc on, at that time, in the emergency department. And I, I looked at him, and I knew him from volunteering, from being the director of volunteers at Mercy. And I looked up, and I saw those beautiful blue eyes, and he said, we're going to take care of you. Simple. We're going to take care of you. And then the surgeon who was going to address my neck was Dr. Wilson neurosurgeon, and he came in and got down close to me and said, I want you to wiggle your pinkies for me because you might not be able to wiggle them tomorrow. Oh. So He was worried because yeah. of your broken neck he that you might be become paralyzed. paralyzed. Because apparently my um, spinal cord had edged out a little bit and they had to get it, they had to get it back realigned, mm -hmm. put it back together. So, but he said, we'll fix you up as best we can, and that was it. As best you can. As best you can. And so, next thing I knew, oh, yeah, my hands. This is all, this is the only residual thing that I have, are those two fingers that look like they're arthritic. Yeah, they're kind yeah, of bent. Yeah, yeah they, well, they're definitely bent. <laughs> um, but everybody was so wonderful. It just so happened that, that Dr. Vaughn was in the building, and he could take care of my hand. And there was another physician that was taking care of my ankle, and... And, and, and they were all working on me at the same time. And, you know, Dr. Ray White was fixing my humerus as best he could. And the long and the short of it is three years of physical therapy, and I'm almost as good as new. <laughs> I had lived all that time, my entire life, and never been hospitalized, never broken a bone, never been sick. I'd only had three children. That was, that was it. And then it was like everything hit at once. My head was in one of those funny little braces things. Whenever someone came in to look at me, they'd come in with a smile, and then that smile would go to a like a grimace, like, like oh my God, what because look at you, her. So you mean your your head was immobilized? Yeah, I was immobilized, and the big signs behind me, uh, you know, not to touch my head, my neck. My, <laughs> so. And I'm, needless to say, they were able to inch your spinal cord they, back in place Dr. and you could Wilson, wiggle your fingers yeah, the next Dr. day. Yeah, Dr. Wilson and I was not paralyzed, and I'm actually fine. I have some, you know, I have pain. Hmm. But as <laughs> I, I don't know whether that's because I'm 71 or whether it's because of the accident. My neck is better than it was before, according to Dr. Wilson. My neck is stronger. I'm an inch taller. How can that be? They straightened me up. <laughs> they straightened me up, so I'm an inch taller. I thought when you get older, you're supposed to shrink, but no, I, I gained an inch. Uh, so now I'm five, four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this was one of the things that I think, um, I don't like to 
dwell on it, but it's always there because I always feel it. Um, every moment is so precious, and we sometimes just take it for granted. Just right. take it for granted. And I find myself, even now, sometimes I'll snap around and say, wait a minute, this is important too. Every but moment. you had some really tough lessons that got you to that point, didn't you? Resilience. Yeah. That's when Michael said I was so resilient. I had been resilient about so many things, you know. And so you survived that. Yeah. And, and loving retirement. I'd like to go on adventures. You told me that once a week, you and Michael, we you find something. something to do. Yeah. But I, I wonder, do you have a map here? And so that you're, are you putting pins on a map? Because it seems no, like you're be. trying to <laughs> visit every single spot in Maine. We are both native Mainers, and we love this state. And we just absolutely, whenever there's an opportunity to see something new, we try to do it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we just came back from the Katahdin Woods and Waters Monument, and that was our second visit. We went up the the year it opened, and it was our second visit. And I thought, we have to go back because we do this one-day thing, and I want to go back and stay overnight so we can do some... I used to call it hiking. Now it's called walking. I see you as being very active and very engaged. Yeah, we we still both have our health pretty much. Michael has two new knees, so now he can walk better than he could a few years back. Um, and so we get out and we do a lot of uh, dog walking and mm -hmm. go on to different, find different paths around town. The beauty of Maine now is that all of these towns are creating these walking paths. So we try to find as many as we can. We love the Hopswell for that. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of great places. If you've not been to Mitchell Field, you should go. That's a nice place. So yeah, we try to do a lot. And I think, that, I think you need to be active. You need to keep your families close, keep your friends close. Um, I've been able to reestablish some friendships with uh, my best friend in high school and my best friend from fourth grade. She and nice. I are still good buddies, which is, you know, and that's all important to us as we yeah. age, I think. Um, I, we're finding it more important, even. You're on the younger yes, end I, of the uh, age spectrum, yes. of the getting older spectrum. Right. All right. But for me, it's the older end because I was not going to make it this far. Yeah. Are you doing anything to plan for when you hit 90 and 100 now that you know you're going to live that long? <laughs> well, I bought a cemetery plot. <laughs> so it's good to plan. It's good to plan. Uh, we've been doing what we call our adult list, you know, things like that, and getting all the everything lined up so we don't leave that stuff for the kids to have to deal with. So what are some of the things so, besides getting your plots? Um, We've got all of our insurance policies all done. The wills are all done. The power of attorney and all of that stuff is all done. Um, I've organized boxes mm -hmm. for the kids with their names on them so they'll know what's theirs when they start to throw stuff out. <laughs> like like pictures or mementos that yeah, are... Uh, just specific to them mm -hmm. and things for them. You and Michael plan to stay here? Do you have a plan for the future, a what-if plan? Not yet. Not yet. It's more like, what if we can't climb the stairs anymore? Do you have a room we, you can turn into your bedroom downstairs? Michael will have to give up his den, yes. <laughs> or I can give up the dining room, you know. <laughs> That's where I spent my rehab, was in the dining room on a bed looking at the chandelier. <laughs> but it was like, we could we could adjust the house. But I, I guess it's something we'll have to face, but I'm not ready to face it yet. Um, every now and then we talk about it, but it, it's not serious talk yet. It's more like, oh, what if my step-grandfather 
was, I think he was 94, and my step-grandmother was 92. Um, but he always said about his wife, at the end of her life, she was all used up. That's the phrase he used, all used up. She didn't have anything else. That she, she was ready to, to go meet God. And of course, they were very religious, mm -hmm. so that made it easy for her to be that way. But that's what he referred to her as being all used up. And I wonder, do you reach a point where there's no more curiosity and no more interest or uh, no more things that have to be done? Do you reach that point in life at some point? Um, I can't imagine it right now. It's, you know, my age. After having had so many conversations, you probably I hear, but I hear more about people who continue to be curious about yeah. things. Yeah. But I do hear about loneliness. I do hear yeah. about people missing the things they used to enjoy doing. Yeah. And um, it, it's made me really think hard about how I want to live my life every day because mm, just you, mm. as you said you never know we don't know at any age oh, what's going to happen absolutely. but we do know when we hit our 70s and 80s that uh, <laughs> the end is nearer well yeah the distance from here to there is a little shorter than yeah. it is to when you were a kid uh yeah so you have to face some of those things do the adult list prepare that get things set and just yeah, forge on. <laughs> so what's your next excursion? <laughs> well, I have to go to the eye doctor. <laughs> no, I said excursion. <laughs> this is the week I did all my, my, my adult stuff. I had my physical, my annual wellness visit and all of that. Going to the eye doctor. We're getting the dog's nails trimmed. Michael's off getting his beard done. And this is the week to we do the, the stuff that needs to have to be done. <laughs> so we don't know. We haven't talked yet today about what's our next event. <laughs> You just kind of fell in the middle of our work week. Oh, I'm not part of your fun week. I'm part of your work week. Well, all right. I'll have to deal with that. One last question. That even though you haven't reached the ripe old age of 100 and something, you still have been around long enough to have some wisdom. So would you like to end our conversation with some wisdom? Oh, oh. Wisdom. Something somebody has taught you, maybe? Love one another. That would be it. Love one another. You've been listening to Conversations About Aging, a Catching Health podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, and I've been talking with Jennifer Fitzpatrick, a young, energetic, and enthusiastic 71-year-old. If you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer, please share it with a friend. You'll find more episodes on my blog, Catching Health, at catchinghealth.com. This podcast was made possible by Avita of Stroudwater, a memory care facility, and Stroudwater Lodge, an assisted living community, both in Westbrook, Maine. You'll find out more about them at northbridgecos.com. Many thanks to Smith Atwood Video Services for editing the podcast. See what else they have to offer at smithatwood.com. And a thank you to the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health at the University of New England for their wisdom.